0: Well, good morning, Blackman Baptist Church. Um, when I accepted the invitation to preach on Easter, I didn't expect to be doing so over a live stream with uh, thunder and lightning and rain pouring down this morning. Uh, but what a strange and challenging time to be alive and worshiping King Jesus. Now, I know that many of you uh, may be wondering what the future holds. Uh, some of you may be thinking about your job security, uh, or the financial health of the organization that you work at. Um, you may be thinking about the, the physical health that you enjoy today, but where it could be gone tomorrow. Uh, or if you may wonder if someone that you know and love will, will succumb to this sickness that is all over the world now. But no matter what concerns you have, no matter how big or small, we can take them to the Lord this morning. And we know He hears us. And you know how we know He hears us? Because he is alive. And that's what we're happy to celebrate right now. In times of crisis, in times of turbulence, in times throughout the world where there are so many uncertainties and so many unsettled things, we go back to the foundation of our faith, the rock-solid truth of what the Bible teaches, and we ground our lives in the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. So this morning, the text that I'll be preaching from is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 12 through 19. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. If you'll turn with me there, uh, we'll read that together. Beginning in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God, because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins." Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Would you pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. When I was a teenager, I remember I read a book once about the possibility that Jesus' bones had been found. It was a fictional work, but it it explored this possibility of what would it be like if the empty tomb in Jerusalem was empty, not because the body had been moved, not because God had done something amazing with that crucified body of Jesus, uh, raising it from the dead so that he he walked out of there on his own, uh, but uh, uh, what if that tomb was empty because something had been done with the body, that the body was somewhere else, but it had been found conclusively. And needless to say, such a discovery of Jesus's body, if it were conclusive, if it were beyond the shadow of a doubt, I mean, that would provoke some changes to how we understand and celebrate Easter, what that would do to Christianity, right? And it was interesting in the book to read the different reactions to the idea that the bones of Jesus could be found someday. There was one response that stood out to me that made me think. There was a pastor of a church who said something along these lines. You know, if the bones of Jesus were to be discovered, it would be a big finding. It would cause us to adjust our understanding of Christianity, yes. But, but ultimately, the truth and power of Christianity would remain undisturbed. We would still have all of Jesus' teachings, and we would have all of his stories, and we would have the, the wonderful example of his love for the outcast. We would still have his command to, to love God and love our neighbor. We would have the moral exhortations of the apostles. Uh, we would still have the example of, of love and sacrifice that Jesus gave us when he, when he died an unjust death at the hands of the Romans. And so even though Easter wouldn't be about the physical resurrection of Jesus we would go on celebrating the example and testimony of this this great man of God who who lives on in our hearts and who inspires us to be kind to others. So Jesus may not be raised bodily from the dead, but he is alive in our memories, and he has been raised in our hearts. And so we would celebrate the, the spiritual resurrection of Jesus. And even if the tomb wasn't empty, our hearts would still be full. So in the end, Christianity wouldn't be terribly affected if we were to find the bones of Jesus. Now that it surely is one possible response to the idea that Jesus wasn't raised bodily from the dead. And it sounds on the surface so innocent and so plausible, doesn't it? So So thoughtful, so hope-filled. It kind of makes the idea that our faith would be untouchable by history or by scientific discovery or anything. But according to Paul, it is absolutely wrong. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead bodily, then the whole of Christianity is lost. Everything rises or falls with Easter. If the body of Jesus is is decaying somewhere in the Middle East today, it is an absolute disaster for our faith. I mean, we might as well pack it up and go home. Or for all of you at home, just never come back here again. Um, If the body, the idea, the idea that Jesus is just an inspiring figure in our past, just someone whose memories live on in our hearts, or someone who has been raised spiritually, but not bodily in some mystical way, that idea is not true Christianity. The Apostle Paul believed that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel and the King of the world. And he believed that about Jesus because Jesus was marked out as King through his resurrection. If Jesus is still dead, there's no point in calling him the Lord of life or calling other people to turn to him in faith. Why should we follow him forever if he is not alive? The resurrection is the hinge of history. Without the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, we lose the very heart of the Christian faith. Without the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, we're dealing with just another failed Messiah from the first century who let his people down. Without the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, we have no hope of a future of our own when our own bodies will die. You know, 1 Corinthians 15 is often called the resurrection chapter because it's all about the resurrection of the body. Starting with Jesus' resurrection, and then moving to our resurrection. Actually, theologically speaking, we would say it's one resurrection. Jesus is the first fruits, and ours is to follow. But the resurrection has already begun because of Jesus. But the reason why Paul is writing the Corinthians is to correct some some misunderstandings that they have. Now, if you've ever read the letters to the Corinthians, I mean, you know, this church had a bunch of problems. Okay. I mean, there were divisions in the church. Um, Some were saying, you know, we follow Paul. And other people were like, well, we, we really follow Apollos. And then, of course, you know, you have the super spiritual group that's like, well, we just follow Jesus, you know. Uh, and then there's immorality in the church that's happening there. I mean, some people in this congregation were proud of the guy who was sleeping with his mother-in-law. Okay, so a little bit too much of a reality TV show going on here. Um, some in the congregation were suing other people in the congregation. Um, there was confusion in the church over speaking in tongues, right? Uh, there was an alcohol problem in the church that had gotten to the point that some people were getting drunk at the Lord's table. I mean, that's a lot of those little cups, okay? But at the end of the letter, Paul turns his attention to those in the church who were saying, well, there's there's not really a resurrection of the dead. Now we don't know the nature of this denial. Um, they may have been influenced by the Greek philosophers of the day, who thought that the soul was immortal, that the body was just a shell, something that that doesn't matter as long as the soul is okay. You know that so the the body is just something you escape. So why would you want to return to it? What's the big deal about the body? Maybe they thought that the whole point of Christianity, and I am afraid to say, I believe a lot of Christians even today may fall for this idea. Uh, that the whole point of Christianity is to have your soul saved in heaven with God, you know, where your spirit goes to be with God. And there's no real need to keep believing that one day God would raise your body from the dead. Maybe they thought, you know, resurrection, that's just a little too out there for polite society. You know, perhaps they were running into people who thought it was just preposterous to think that this, uh, this man named Jesus had been raised from the dead. I mean, that's not something that, that happens unless, you know, and just as a reminder, we, We didn't need the scientific revolution to come along and tell us that dead people stay dead. Okay? Um, People have known that for a really long time. So what's the big deal about the resurrection? Like the pastor I mentioned earlier, we can go on just fine without stressing the need for bodily resurrection, right? That's what... Perhaps some of the people in the church in Corinth were saying, like that pastor I mentioned earlier, we can go along without it. We, you know, Christianity is fine without the resurrection. It's kind of an embarrassing thing to think. We can just love people and, and, and entrust our souls to God, right? No need for focusing on the resurrection of the body. And to this, Paul says, no, never. If you deny the resurrection of the body, you deny the resurrection of Jesus. And if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, here's what happens. And the part of this chapter that we're looking at today lays out the terrible implications one by one. So let's take a look at what happens. What if, what if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead? First answer, first answer is we have no hope of rising from the dead. That's the first answer. We have no hope of rising from the dead. One of the key takeaways from this part of Paul's letter is how closely connected Jesus' resurrection is to our resurrection. Like I said before, it's one resurrection and his is the first fruits. Without Jesus' resurrection, we have no hope of rising from the dead. Look at verse 12, where he begins to take on this false notion of some of the Corinthian church who were saying that there's no resurrection of the body. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. Now look down, if you go with me down, if you have your Bibles, look at verse 16. Here Paul lays it out again. He's connecting Jesus' resurrection to ours. He's saying if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised. And if Jesus wasn't raised as the first fruits, the harvest isn't coming. You have no hope of being raised. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Now you may remember that in the Apostles' Creed, when we get to that part about, when we get to the part about Jesus, you know how we make a statement about him suffering under Pontius Pilate? And then we say Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again, right? That's in the Apostles' Creed. Well, later on in the Creed, we also, we say at the end of the Creed that we believe in uh, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, that part at the end of the Creed that says the resurrection of the body, We're talking there about our resurrection that follows Christ's, right? We're talking about the plan of God to redeem and restore this world, to renew everything, including our bodies that we bury and that return to dust. What we're saying there at the end of the creed is God is going to make all things new. And he is going to do something with the actual matter, the material, the physical remains of our bodily existence. But notice how in the creed that we confess the resurrection of Jesus before we confess our own. See how they're connected? Our destiny is bound up with Christ's deliverance. The destiny of the Christian to resurrection of life depends on the deliverance of Jesus From deathly decay. Easter, it's about Jesus' resurrection. But one reason we celebrate it is because we know that's the sign, that's the signal, that's the foreshadowing of what God is going to do with everyone who belongs to Jesus at the end of time. And when a Christian dies, and when we lay them to rest, we're laying the body to rest. Okay? What happens when your rest is over? What happens at the end of your nap? Well, you get up and that's why we say rest in peace, rest in peace, because we believe that when someone dies, their spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Our souls, and we can take hope in this, our souls are with Jesus as soon as we die, but our bodies are at rest. Awaiting the day of resurrection. Paul says it's like we're unclothed and we're waiting the day that we will be clothed again. And in that day, Christ will return and say to all of the saints across the world, wake up. I am making all things new. And Paul says here, if Christ hasn't been raised, you have no hope of resurrection. That's not all he says. What if Jesus wasn't truly raised from the dead? Second answer, our preaching and teaching is false and pointless. Our preaching and teaching is false and pointless. Here's where Paul turns our attention to the preaching and teaching ministry of not only pastors, but everyone who has shared the gospel ever. Basically, anyone who has proclaimed the truth about Easter. Paul says, Our proclamation is in vain. We're promoting falsehoods. Take a look, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Verse 15, Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. Let me put it this way. If Christ hasn't been raised, then every time anyone gets up to preach, it's pointless. It's in vain. It's meaningless. This morning, I'm just spreading... Pie-in-the-sky, sentimental drivel. Okay, it may make you feel good. It may inspire you, but it's not going to change the fact that Jesus is dead and buried, and one day we'll all be dead and buried too, and death is one. Pointless platitudes are all I can offer you if Jesus hasn't been raised. But Paul goes even further to that. He didn't just say it's meaningless. He, he says we're false witnesses. I mean, if Christ hasn't been raised... I and anyone else who stands up here and preaches is lying to you every Sunday. Maybe not intentionally, but spreading falsehood. That's what's happening. And now you may say, you know, but I'm just, I'm inspired. Church inspires me. I'm encouraged by when I, you know, by good Bible teaching. And I'm even, even if it were to be just a myth, at least it encourages me. Paul would say to that, listen, we don't preach the gospel because it's helpful. We preach the gospel because it's true. Paul was concerned about the truth, not just being helpful. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, all our religious teaching is pointless, and we're just a bunch of gullible people spreading falsehoods about God. So what if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? That's the second answer. Our preaching and teaching is false and pointless. But there's a third answer. Our faith is worthless. Our faith is worthless. Let's look at verse 14 again. It's not just our proclamation that's in vain, but also our faith. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Now skip down to verse 17. Paul makes it even more clear. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Worthless, he says. I've got news for you. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, your faith, your trust, your belief, your commitment to his resurrection, it isn't worth anything. Now, this is a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Because our faith means so much to us personally. But it's true. Paul is saying, look, unless your faith is actually grounded in something that deserves your trust, it's useless. It's useless. Now, you can turn on the radio. You can stream music nowadays. And there are so many songs out there that are all about the virtue of faith, right? And you hear it. I mean, singers, movie stars, TV celebrities, books, they all praise the idea of believing in something. You know, you got to be a person of faith. you got to have faith. Belief. Whether it's God, whether it's a higher power, whether it's yourself. You know, it just the important thing is to believe. You hear that. Um, but a lot of that talk about faith that you hear in society is simply belief in belief. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's devoid of any objective content. And so how does this work out practically? Well, a lot of people start to think that it doesn't really matter what you believe about God, so long as you believe. And you'll hear people say, things like, well, it, it, the specifics aren't important about what you believe or who you believe in. It's that you believe something, that you have faith. Uh, what's important is faith, not theology. No, I mean this goes way back. This isn't just something brand new. I mean, it was Dwight Eisenhower back in the 1950s who, when we put in God we trust in the uh, our, on the on our money, and we put uh, um, under God in our Pledge of Allegiance, uh, Eisenhower said it, it it doesn't matter. In God we trust. We are people of faith of whatever faith, whatever faith, and it doesn't really matter which faith as long as we're a people of faith. The key is that you believe, not what you believe. But what happens whenever what you believe in lets you down? What happens if the object of your faith isn't worthy of your faith? I often use the analogy of picturing yourself in an airplane with a very inexperienced pilot. Say you're in the air. The plane begins to malfunction. The pilot doesn't really know what to do. The plane begins to nosedive. Do you continue to trust that that pilot's got it under control? Okay? You close your eyes and you think... Well, it's important that I have faith. You grip the armrests and you think, I believe, I believe. Well, unfortunately, I'm here to tell you, no matter how much faith you place in that pilot, if he is unworthy of your trust, your plane's still going to crash. Faith or no faith, it's the pilot that matters. In the same way, Christian faith is not generic. It's not just important that you believe in something, but that the someone that you believe in is actually able to save you. True faith has power because of who we believe in, not simply because we believe. And that's why Paul says, without the resurrection, your faith is worthless. It it doesn't mean anything. But you know, here's the good news as well for those of you who may think that your faith is faltering. Your faith is faulty that oftentimes you're not sure you believe enough, that you struggle with doubts, that you, you, you question things and you wonder about things, and you, is it really real? And you, But you, you have faith, but you sometimes do feel like that faith is the size of a mustard seed. I've, often, I've heard this illustration used before. Think back to the children of Israel at the time of Passover. When the children of Israel were told, if you want to protect the firstborn from the angel of death that would come through, you put the blood over the doorpost, Right? And the angel would see the blood, would see that sign. The angel would pass over you. What about the people on the inside of those homes in Goshen that night as the angel of death passed through? As the angel of, of death came through and there was the blood on the doorpost, what if there were people in that who were in those homes that were struggling, that were doubting, that felt like their faith was faulty, wondering, do I believe enough? Do I believe enough in what I've done that I will somehow escape this plague? That I will escape the angel of death? What if there were others that were completely confident, that slept soundly? Their faith wasn't wobbly at all. You know what the outcome was for both of those people? Both the Israelites that may have been faltering in their faith and the, the, the those that had strong, robust, confident faith and slept like a baby that night? The outcome was the same. Why? Because it didn't matter. The size or the magnificence of their faith, it mattered that there was blood on the doorpost. That's what mattered. Because the faith was in something objective. The faith was in something that actually would lead to their salvation. It didn't depend on them. And so all of this news about, well, it's just important to believe what you want to believe, whether or not your object of belief is actually able to save you or not, all of that ultimately turns out to be bad news, because at the end of the day, it all comes back to you. And it all comes back to the, the, the power of your faith. But that's not where the power is. The power is not in your faith. The power is in the one who you have faith in. Just think of the Christians throughout history who have faced martyrdom. Who have been reviled for their faith. Who endured persecution in earthly struggles. They went to their graves believing that death would not win the last battle. Because Jesus had already won the first. Ignatius of Antioch. 107 A.D. Less than a hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He knew he was about to be martyred. And he was quoted as saying this. Now I begin to be a disciple. Let fire and cross, flocks of beasts, broken bones, dismemberment come upon me. So long as I attain to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Do you think that a guy that committed to Jesus? A guy ready to be tortured and killed for his faith would say... But, you know, in the end, it really doesn't matter if Jesus was truly raised from the dead or not, so long as I'm sincere in my belief. No. No. He went to his death trusting the king who conquered death. And if Ignatius was wrong, if we are wrong, if Jesus is still dead, Paul says our faith is worthless. That's not me. That's Paul saying that. Now let's read on. What if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? There's a fourth answer. We are still in our sins. We are still in our sins. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we are still in our sins. We don't have forgiveness. Our sins have not been washed away. Look again at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 17, your faith is worthless. What does it say right after that? You are still in your sins. Still in your sins. Now, wait a minute. You may be thinking, I know some of you right now, you're thinking, but wait, doesn't the cross take away our sin? I mean, isn't... Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, what matters for our forgiveness? Don't we believe that it was at the cross that our sins were covered forever? Is it Would it be possible to believe in the cross without the resurrection? Not according to Paul. Not according to Paul. You see, without the resurrection, the power of sin has not been broken. And the consequence of death has not been challenged. Unless death is defeated, sin still reigns. The wages of sin Is death, remember? That's what we know from Romans. Sin and death are connected. The result of sin is death. So the sign that sin has been removed, that sin has been taken care of, is that death dies, that death is reversed, that death is overcome by new life. What happened on Easter morning is the vindication of what happened on Friday afternoon. Easter validates the cross and is what makes it good Friday. What Paul is saying here is this. The cross has no meaning apart from the resurrection. The world is unchanged as long as the tomb has a body in it. Forgiveness is just a mirage. Just a pleasant myth if Jesus is still dead. John Chrysostom put it this way 1,700 years ago. He said, If Christ did not rise again, neither was he slain. And if he was not slain, our sins have not been taken away. If our sins have not been taken away, we are still in them and our entire faith is meaningless. There is no justification apart from the resurrection. Paul in another letter says Jesus was raised for our justification. The resurrection is what assures our salvation. It's what tells us that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted, that the power of sin and death and hell has been defeated. The resurrection is when God says, I am making all things new, including you. Including you. I have forgiven you. I have redeemed you. I have loved you. And one day I will raise you from the dead just like I did my son. That's the connection between resurrection and forgiveness. There's one more thing we've got to see here in this passage. What if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead? Fifth answer believers who have died are lost forever. Believers who have died are lost forever. Here's where it gets real, you guys. Paul says, basically, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every Christian funeral has been invalidated. There's no hope of heaven. Everyone you've grieved is gone for good. Look at verse 18. This is where he says it very clearly. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. And then he ends the section. I mean, you can't get clearer than this. You cannot get more opposite than what the pastor at the beginning of the sermon said than this. If we have put our Christ, our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be more we should be pitied more than anyone. Paul has just stripped away all the hope of Christianity from us. He says there's no resurrection. No proclamation, no genuine faith, no heavenly afterlife, no future hope, and no forgiveness of sins. And then he says, if you have fallen for this lie, well, you're to be more pitied than anyone because you believe this crazy thing about the resurrection, and it's not even true. The Christian faith is not worth it if it's just a fable. People are devoting their lives to someone who's dead. People are putting their hope in Christ for something that is not going to happen. This is what happens without the resurrection. Our faith is eviscerated. So contrary to what the polite pastor at the beginning of this message might have thought, we have no hope without the resurrection. There's no Christianity without it. Now, before we come to a close this morning, I want us to turn around. I want us to see, turn around each of these elements that we just looked at, and I want us to see what is true if the resurrection of Jesus really happened. Okay, so... Going back and kind of rewriting this passage, turning around this passage, going at it backwards. We've seen what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12-19, what is false if the resurrection is false. But that means that if Jesus Christ really did come out of the grave like he said he would, and like the apostles testified that he did, then we see suddenly how many other things are true of our faith. Okay, so let's look at the passage, let's turn it around and go at it backwards. If there is a resurrection of the dead, then Jesus Christ has truly been raised. And if Jesus Christ has been raised, then our proclamation is powerful. And so is your faith. We are found to be true witnesses about God because we have testified truthfully about God that he raised up Christ, who he truly raised up because the dead are raised. And if the dead are raised then Christ has truly been raised. And if Christ has been raised, your faith is full of worth and power. Your sins are forgiven forever. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are safe in his resurrected arms. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life and the next, we have reasons to celebrate forever. Forever. This whole message, we've been looking at the question of what if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead? But isn't it good this morning that we can consider the opposite question? What is true since Jesus really was raised from the dead? If the heart of Christianity is true, everything has changed. The history of the world pivots on that moment. Stephen Um puts it this way. He says, the resurrection narrative tells a story with a beautiful happy ending. The end of redemptive history is God wins. And those who are in union with Christ will win along with Him. He will renew the entire world to make it the way it is supposed to be and will undo all of the disintegration. The resurrection is a picture of what the future will look like. We have inherited this resurrection life as a gift a power that is already inherited by faith in Jesus, that helps us look suffering and sickness and plague and death in the eye and see hope. Death will ultimately not have the victory because of what Jesus Christ has done. And it's not possible that we could ever fail or consider ourselves as losers because Jesus Christ lost everything for us. We can't ultimately lose anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. In this strange and different Easter resurrection morning, we are celebrating the resurrection of your son. We thank you that by the power of your spirit, you rose, You raised him from the dead, that you brought him forth from that tomb. We thank you, Father, for everything that is true of our faith because of what is true of Jesus, the resurrection power that courses through our veins as we have been made new and raised to resurrection life. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone that is watching this live stream this morning that doesn't know you, that has stumbled into this uh, Easter morning celebration uh, by the invitation of a friend who who has never really considered the, the truth of the resurrection, the reality of the cross of Christ, just what it means to be forgiven. Anyone that is watching that is longing to be made new. Father, even in a strange and challenging season across the world today, we know that Your spirit is still at work and that you are in the business of changing hearts. And so we pray, Father, that you would lead others to repentance, that even now as people are watching, there may be someone who will turn to you in repentance and faith, will turn from their sins, trust you, trust you in the objective reality of your son's resurrected body, that they would turn and put their full faith and confidence in the cross of Jesus and in his resurrection, knowing that through him they can be changed, they can be saved, they can be uh, made new, even now this morning. Father, you are in the resurrection business. You resurrected your son. You've resurrected us from uh, uh, our spiritually by resurrecting uh, us when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And Father, we trust that you will be the one to resurrect our bodies from the grave at the end of time. We put our faith in you. We put our trust in you. We have all our hope in you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.